Matthew chapter number 6 this morning, and I'd like to read just one verse to take as our text, and uh, I hope the Lord will speak to your heart through it. As I look through this passage, I, you know, I always like to read several verses just for context. But as I read this verse, it just impressed upon my heart that really, although context will always help you, that as you read the context for this verse, verse 24 really just sums up uh, the entire passage. And so we'll just read that one verse this morning. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's read that once more. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word. Lord, I know that us in and of ourselves are nothing that can be blessed, but I know that the righteousness that we've been robed in because of Calvary's blood, Lord, that you can bless that righteousness. God, I know that your holy, inspired, infallible word that's been perfectly preserved, I know you can bless that this morning. Lord, I know as we're gathered here as a local assembly, as a local New Testament church, you love the church and gave yourself for it, and I know you can bless that this morning. Lord, each and every one of us that know your Son is our Savior, We're indwelt by the Holy Ghost, and I know you can bless him this morning. So God bless us in spite of ourselves. Use us this morning for your glory and honor. Speak to each heart according to your will, and help us to be submitted to you. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need, their most essential need, and that of Calvary's blood. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, thank you for loving us. Teach us to love you more. In Christ's name, amen. In this passage, I just want to make a few notes this morning that I believe will help us in our lives. Uh, the Bible teaches us that each and every one of us serve something. Isn't that correct? As we read this passage, it's interesting to me uh, that we have, first off, the declaration of this servitude. Now, most of us would like to say, well, I'm no slave and I'm no servant and I do not have a master. But can I remind you this morning that every single one of us is governed by something? It doesn't matter how much we like to think that we're free, that we're independent. Every single one of us has something that is ruling and reigning our life. I was talking last week in Sunday school to my Sunday school class, and uh, we were giving an illustration about uh, food. Imagine that, amen? We were talking about food, and do you realize that uh, most of us, if, if I was to ask you, do you want to stop in the middle of your day and spend your money to go and get something to eat if you didn't have to, most of us would probably say, well, no, I'd prefer to not do that. If you're out working in the yard and you begin to get fatigued and you begin to get worn out and begin to get tired, and I was to ask you, would you prefer to not get tired and not get worn out? Uh, how many of you would prefer to not get worn out? Say amen this morning. Everybody all right? Everybody looks at me like they don't know what's happened. Uh, we don't want to be governed by those things. We prefer not to be, but like it or not, we go without food long enough, uh, that hunger pain's going to start telling us what to do. Isn't that right? Uh, like it or not, we work in the yard long enough or we go out and we run. I don't, I don't run. I, I don't run unless something's chasing me, amen? I don't understand these people get out and run, but, uh, you know, if we're out and we're running, like it or not, eventually that fatigue is going to begin to govern us. You understand this morning. 
Uh, if we are uh, out somewhere and we've not had anything to drink all day, no water, no soda, no nothing, and uh, we're out in the hot sun and we're sweating, eventually our thirst is going to start to govern us. You see, like it or not, we're all governed by elements and principles in our life. We find these intrinsic authorities in our life, but we find that there are not only intrinsic authorities or internal authorities, but there's external authorities. Uh, it's funny, teenagers tend to think, well, when I grow up one day, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And what's funny about it is when you grow up, there's less people telling you what to do, but you know more of the people that are telling you what to do. Isn't that right? I mean, when you're little, uh, you know, it seems like everybody's telling you what to do, but there's a lot of stuff that you're oblivious to. You grow up and all of a sudden you have these other authorities in your life. I go down the road and the speed limit's 40 miles an hour and I'm driving 65. Like it or not, and I can protest to that police officer, hey, we're in America, this is a free country, I'm independent, but I'll still have to pay that ticket. Isn't that right? I mean, if if I was to go out here and, and and get in trouble with the law somewhere, they'd come and track me down, and there'd be authorities. Uh, you know, if I was to go, if I was to decide I didn't want to pay my taxes, you know, I'm I'm technically uh, the way I do my taxes is a, is a self-employed. Some of y'all have done that before, uh, where you fill out a a, a ten ninety five s double four slash hyphen with a with a uh, corrugated appendix or something like that. I don't know what it is, but you fill it out, and, and so that means I, I, I pay my taxes. It don't come out of a paycheck. I pay my taxes. And, and, you know, I could just sit there and say, well, I'm tired of paying my taxes, and I'm not going to pay it. And do you know they'll tell you that the IRS won't come to your door and, and take your taxes with a gun, but they will, amen? They'll do whatever they have to do to get those taxes. I can assume, I can say, well, I have liberty, I'm independent, I can protest these authorities in my life, but it doesn't change the fact that those authorities still exist. We are all governed by something. And any man that says, well, I just want to be free, is living under the delusion that he could really have uh, total and complete liberty. We all are governed by some things. And so the first thing the Word of God does is makes a declaration about this servitude, about this life that we're living. And it begins by saying that no man can serve two masters. We see first off the implication of this servitude. It does not say that you don't have to have any master. It simply says no man can serve two masters. So that tells me something this morning. That tells me that because no man lives without any master, and because you cannot have two or more masters, that leads me to understand that there is one chief principle that will govern each and every one of our lives. One thing that's more important. One thing that has chief Precedent. Listen to what the Word of God says in Romans 6.16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. All of my time as a youth pastor, I used to hear kids say all the time, I'm going to grow up, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to have liberty. I'm going to be able to do whatever I please. But do you know a lot of those young people, and not just in uh, youth groups that I was over, but in a lot of youth groups they grow up, and they're governed by money because they're spending all their time trying to get a big old house. They're governed by uh, academia because they've allowed their school. You say, preacher, are you against education? No, I think people need more education. But I don't think education needs to become a god in our lives. I don't think education needs to hinder us from serving God, do you? 
And education becomes their God. Sometimes uh, drugs become their gods. I've seen that at times. And it's so tragic. It's hard to see that in a person's life. But do you know that ironically, most people that wind up a, a drunk or a drug addict, uh, they got that way by saying, no one's going to tell me what to do. That's how they got that way. And yet here they are, can't go uh, even a day without getting a fix from these, uh, these substances and these drugs and these things in their life. And they say, well, I'm free. No, you're not free. You're governed by those things. You see, we all have one chief principle in life. For most of us, it's self. Isn't that true? Most of us, self is what governs us. That's what people mean when they say, I'm going to do what I want to do. They're implying I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to do what they want me to do. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to do what anyone wants me to do except for me. That's the God of self. That's the chief and great God of this world. The Bible speaks of Satan as being the God of this world, and he is. But do you know how most people worship Satan? is by worshiping self. That's what Satan desires. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of times about, you know, Satanism. And I know there's a lot of occultism and Satanism that goes on. But do you know that the devil's chief tool is not the occult? That's not his chief tool. There's very few people. In, I mean, there's more than you'd realize. But the vast number of people that are going to hell aren't going to hell and blinded simply because they're in the occult. They're not meeting out in the woods and sacrificing cats, or I hope they're not anyway. Well, I don't cats I'm not really fond of. As long as they stay away from our dogs, I guess we'll be okay, but... No, the vast majority of the people aren't doing that. You know, you know the altar that Satan wants most people to sacrifice at is the altar of self. Because that will send a man to hell just as quick as anything will, to live for self. To live for self. I'll do it my way, in my time. Well, you need to understand that however you live is a testament to who it is that you're serving. That's what it says. That's what it says. And I know some people, they want to say, I, and I've heard people say this before, well, you know, my, my, my child or my, my family member, they're just in with a bad crowd. You ever wonder if, if the family members of those other kids are saying that about your kid? I mean, if, if they're in the bad crowd, they are the bad crowd. Amen? You see, however we live and however we behave and however we act, whatever we partake in, that is evidence of who it is that we're really serving in life. And the Bible teaches in this passage that no man can serve two, but every man will at least serve one. What's governing you? What's driving you? Do you know there's a lot of good things in our life that we allow to become bad things because we make idols out of them? Stop and think about the makeup of an idol in, in an Old Testament setting. I mean, stop and think about it. Most of the time, these idols were, were made of a few different things. Early, uh, early idols would typically be made of wood. Isn't that correct? Wood. Well, now, who made the trees? Well, God made the trees. We need the trees, don't we? I mean, we need the oxygen. We need the cover. We, we need the trees. The ecosystem needs the trees. Trees are not bad in and of themselves, but they took a good thing and made it into an idol. Sometimes they'd be made out of stone. We need stone in this world. If we didn't have stone, everything just like that right there. We've got to have stone in this world, and a lot of us, we, uh, for a lot of years anyways, it's not as common anymore, but used to it would be used for foundation, for building uses and things like that. And Now, if you're lucky, you might have a big fireplace with stone in it or something. We don't use it as much now, but stone has a lot of useful means, and we need stone in this ecosystem, in this world. And they took a good thing made it a bad thing. Where do you reckon silver and gold came from? 
Later on, as, as metallurgy became more and more developed, they would begin to make idols out of silver and out of gold and out of brass. And all of those things are things that God has given us. Uh, God doesn't really have a problem with silver. Did you know that silver is a picture of redemption in the Bible? Every time you see silver in the Word of God, it is tied or connected with redem- the redemption money in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel was silver. And all the time in the Word of God, you'll find silver to be... Do you know that gold, the Bible teaches that uh, that street in the New Jerusalem will be paved with gold? And gold was a gift that was given to our Lord and Savior uh, when He was just a toddler by one of the wise men. And, you know, gold is, is all throughout the imagery connected with the Messiah. Gold's not a bad thing. What about brass? Did you know that brass or bronze is a picture of judgment? And do you know that time and time again, that brass or that bronze is connected with our Lord and Savior? It was a brazen serpent in the book of Numbers that the nation of Israel had to look to so that they could be healed of that plague. And that was a picture the book of John chapter 3 teaches us of our Lord and Savior. So bronze or brass is not bad in and of itself. You say, preacher, what are you going on about? What are you getting? I'm saying these things are not wrong in and of themselves, but they took and made idols out of them. There's a lot of things in our life that aren't bad things. But they've become idolatrous things. We can make our family an idol. Man, there ain't nothing like having family. And, and listen, if you don't have much, I don't say that to make you feel bad. You've got church family around you, and that, that'll fill up the gap. But, but honestly, I mean, it's a blessing to have family. I've got a bunch of family in this church, and that, I mean, that's a blessing, you know. If they stay off my back, sometimes it would be. But, you know, I love them. I mean, I, I really do. It's nice. Nothing wrong with family. But you know that when a family is elevated above the place of God, it becomes an idol. Nothing wrong with money. I know you, the mo, probably one of the most misquoted scriptures in all the Word of God is people say that the money is the root of all evil. You know, the Bible never says that money is, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And you say, well, how do you figure that that's true? Did you know there's a dollar behind every dark iniquity that takes place in this world? Every single time. There's money behind it one way or another. You think about it sometime and you'll find it to be so. But money's not a bad thing in and of itself takes money to live. Nothing wrong with having money. If you've got a bunch of money, God bless you. Give me a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. But it can be elevated. There's a lot of people that God's blessed them with money and then all of a sudden they're buying things that are keeping them out of the house of God or they're taking that money and they're not giving a portion of it unto the Lord as He would lay upon their heart, but they're hoarding, hoarding it unto themselves. We taught about Ananias and Sapphira this morning in Sunday school and that's one of the things that happened to them. Wasn't nothing wrong with them having a piece of land in Acts chapter number 5. Wasn't nothing wrong with them keeping the land. Wasn't nothing wrong with them selling it and keeping part of the money and giving the rest to the Lord. The problem is they lied about it. They made it an idol in their life. And we see that we're all going to have things in our life. Here's the question, very simply this morning. Do you want to serve an idol or do you want to serve the one and true living God? We see the implication of a master, but we see the exclusivity of these masters. These masters are mutually exclusive one of the other. You can't serve two because they will always lead you in cross directions. We must have one government in our life. I mean, there's a reason we don't have two presidents. God help us to survive the one we got, amen? But, but we don't have two presidents. And typically a nation doesn't have two kings. A home that has two heads won't survive very long. It always takes one central place of ruling and authority in life for there to be any effectual leading. Do you know why a lot of Christians are stagnant? Because they're trying to serve two masters. 
You know, the Bible speaks in, I believe it's the book of 1 Corinthians. I'll read it to you so I don't misquote it. But speaks about this very thought and this very idea. And, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the Bible exhorts us saying, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with darkness? Or uh, with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now listen to this. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols. You know what it's saying there? And you say, well, we don't worship in the temple. Yeah, you got a temple. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. What it's saying is this. This is the place that God indwells us through the Holy Spirit. And when we allow idols in there, God won't abide that. It's going to always cause problems. And the reason that some of our kids... Listen, you ever notice that, that some, of, some kids with the biggest problems have come out of church environments? You ever notice that? You know why? They've got two authorities in their life. And it creates anger and it creates anxiety. I want you to notice not only the declaration of this servitude, but notice the dynamics of this servitude. What does it say? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. There's an interesting uh, dynamic to these two relationships. And I believe that if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, as the word of God says at the end of the passage, you cannot serve God and mammon. You say, what's mammon? Mammon is a mysterious word in the word of God. Do you know what it means? Uh, it, it means riches or wealth or pleasures. So in other words, anything that appeals to the flesh is personified by this word mammon. And since God begins in this passage, He puts God first and mammon second, I believe that gives us the pattern for these two relationships. Because we're talking about two different relationships in this passage. The first one is the relationship that we have with God. And it's interesting that it is, notice this, a hate-love relationship. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Do you mean you hate the Lord and love the Lord? No, I mean if you love the Lord, you're going to hate sin. I'm not talking about yin and yang this morning. I'm talking about the... Hey, listen. A farmer loves his crop, so he hates weeds. Isn't that right? It's not that he hates weeds. It's just if he loves his crop, he's going to hate the weeds. A shepherd, you see, he loves his sheep, so he hates wolves. If you're going to love something, it's going to breed a hatred towards other things in your heart and life. And we find that if you love God, it's going to breed a divine hatred of iniquity. You say, well, I don't believe God ever hates anything. Well, there's two problems with that. Uh, one of them is that we see that it's not so in life. And the other problem is the Word of God plainly dictates that that's not so. Because the Bible speaks of Esau, and it says that the Lord hated Esau. But let me give you another verse. Now, this is a prophetic verse about the Son of God in Hebrews 1, 8, 9. It says, but unto the Son, he saith... Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness, now listen now, and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You want to know how much someone loves God? Find out how much they hate sin. That's okay. <laughs> I, I knew that wouldn't go over well, but it's the truth. If you want to know how much someone loves God, find out how much they hate sin. 
I'm not saying find out how much sin appeals to their flesh. Sin appeals to everyone's flesh. I'm talking about how much they hate sin. I mean, the more you love God, the more sick sin will make you. And I'm not talking about the sin of others. I mean, I'm appalled sometimes at the iniquity of this world. But I'm talking about, friend, my own sin. I hate it. I hate it. And the reason I don't hate it more is because I don't love God more. And if I loved God more, I'd hate it more. And the reason sometimes that we can live and allow sin into our lives for long periods of time is uh, flat out, we just don't love God enough. Why do you think called David a man after God's own heart? Why do you think it called David that? I, I believe, and you can believe differently, I don't believe it's because he slew a giant. A lot of men killed giants. I don't believe it was because he sat on thrones. There was lots of men sat on thrones. But you read through the book of Psalms, and you read the passages. We preached on one uh, the other day out of Psalms chapter 32, or you read Psalms chapter 51. You read these verses where David is talking about sin, and it's evident he has a hatred for it. It's not to say he never sinned, but when he sinned, he despised that sin. We see there must be a divine hatred, but on the flip side of that, there's going to be a divine love. You're going to hate something, but you're going to hate it because you love something else, and that's the love of God. We serve Him because we love Him. That's why we ought to serve Him. A lot of people are bitter because they don't love Him and they're trying to serve Him anyway. That's why they're bitter. That's why they're angry all the time. There's no joy about Him. They, they, just, they, they, uh, they don't want to serve Him, but they do it out of obligation, not out of love. What did Christ say? He said, if you love me, John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, listen, I wouldn't give a plug nickel for somebody that says they love God, but then they don't serve Him. I mean, that doesn't mean a thing to me. You can tell me that you love God all that you want, but if your life doesn't evidence it, it don't mean anything to me. And more importantly than that, it don't mean anything to God. God said, you want to prove to me that you love me? Obey me. That's how you prove that you love You see, this is where the world gets mixed up. The world says, if you want to get to heaven, work your way there. But the Word of God says, if you want to prove your love to me, show me by your works, by your obedience. Calvary paid the sin debt. We don't have to do anything to add anything to what Calvary did. But you see, we don't serve Him. Listen, we don't serve Him to get to heaven. We serve Him because we're going to heaven. We don't serve Him to get Him to love us. We serve Him because we love Him. That's why we serve Him. You say, well, why can't I just find any joy in serving You forgot how much He loves you. Why do we love Him? We love Him. Why? The Bible says because He first loved us. See, that's why the farther a person gets away from Calvary, the more bitter they get. Because they begin to forget what Christ did. You say, oh, preacher, I can't forget. I know, I learned ever since I was little. Uh, there's a difference between a head forgetting and a heart forgetting. Your head rarely forgets something. Well, some of ours. But, but your heart can forget something on purpose. Your heart can choose to turn away from a truth, and it does it all the time. And the reason that we find a hard time loving Him is because we choose to turn towards our sin. That thing that we should hate and turn away from, we turn towards it. And when we turn, listen to me, you're not going to find, listen carefully, don't go to Calvary to look for sin. It's already been paid for. So if you're going to look on sin, you're going to have to look away from Calvary. You hear me? You're, if, you're going to find, if you're going to look on sin, you won't be able to look to the Son of God because He's appearing without sin unto salvation, the book of Hebrews said. So if you've got your eyes on sin, it's because you've took them off of the Savior. And you've forgotten what He's done for you. We see a divine relationship, but the second is a despised relationship. 
I'm fascinated by the use of this word despise. You see, the first relationship, if we, uh, if we rightly divide this or if we lay Scripture against Scripture, is the relationship with God because it says God and mammon. So the second is our relationship with mammon or the things of the flesh, the things of this world. And it says you'll hold to the one and despise the other. We find first that it's a relationship of clinging. Isn't it interesting that you're holding to it? Can I say to you that you're going to have to push the flesh away from you because it's going to try to hold to you. But I think there's a different image that is being conveyed to us here. I think about the nation of Israel. I think about when they left Egypt and the Egyptian darkness. I think about when they passed through the Red Sea, which in many ways is a picture of salvation. And they come through the other side as a redeemed people led by God to a promised land. And what should have took them just maybe a week or two, took them 40 years in journeying through the wilderness and through the desert. I wonder why that is. The Bible speaks of their complaining. They murmur. Well, why do people murmur? Because they're dissatisfied. Why are they dissatisfied? Because there's something they want to have that they don't have. What did they murmur about? They said, we remember the cucumbers and the garlic and the onions and the leeks and the fishes of Egypt. I'll tell you why they could never go ahead. They are too busy looking back. They said, we miss what we had in Egypt. You say, oh, well, preacher, they must not have been saved. No, they are redeemed. They weren't going back into Egypt. Amen? They, of all their journeys, they didn't go back into Egypt. No, they was headed for the promised land. They was headed for victory. But they were in misery. And you know that there was a whole generation that just died right there in the wilderness. They never tasted victory. There's a lot in this world that because they're clinging to the things of Egypt, they never taste victory in their Christian walk. And you know what the result is? We see that it is a relationship of clinging, but we see it as a relationship of despising. I I told you I'm interested in that word because it denotes a different concept than hate. You can despise someone and, and it not necessarily have the connotations of to hate. To hate is to wish harm upon. But when I think of the word despise, I naturally think of the word spite. And that implies a few things to me. One of them that it implies to me is a perpetual annoyance. Usually when we despise something, it's because it's every day interfering with our life. And then there is a second thing that it implies to me, an intense unappreciation. When you despise something, it implies that you don't appreciate any of the good qualities in it. And then listen now. The third thing that it implies to me is a desire for that thing to depart. Let me tell you what happens when you live in sin and live in the flesh and live in the world as a Christian. You grow to the place where you despise the things of God. They become, first off, a perpetual annoyance to you. Listen, I get so tired, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be ugly, and I'm not trying to be, uh, be exasperated when I say this, but I'm being honest with you, I get so tired of Christians acting like they're trapped in their salvation. Trapped in this walk with God. I mean, God won't let me do anything. No, God's keeping you from doing the things that harm you. Well, I guess I'll go to church. I've got to. No, friend, you get to. 
And not because there's a great preacher or not because there's good singing or not because the people are nice or smell good. You get to because God saved you and you have the joy and privilege of being in His house to worship. I mean, that, that's, that's a privilege. Well, I've got to go. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Why don't you just trade in that O for an E and start saying, I get to do this. The reason is because you're clinging to some things. You see, they've not, they never could see the milk and the honey because they were still watching the fish and the garlic. And you can't see the good things God's trying to do for you because you're still trying to pay attention to the bad things sin was doing to you. You see, you're facing the wrong direction. You're looking to the wrong master. We see a perpetual annoyance. But we also see, listen, a desire for them to depart. And I I was a Christian school kid. Let me tell you something. There's there's two people in this world that are rougher than Christian school kids. Hell's Angels and Ted Bundy. That's about it. Other than that, if you're a Christian school kid, watch out. They're liable liable to put a knife in you. That's how mean Christian school kids are. And I was one of them. And I grew up with a bunch of kids that felt like they was trapped all the time. And there's times when I was one of those kids. Just trapped all the time. And I thought to myself, one of these days, I'm going to get to do things my way. You know what I was saying? One of these days, I ain't going to serve nobody's master. I began to despise the one that was trying to do good for me. I wanted to throw those shackles off. And friend, you're going to find out one of these days that those things that you thought were shackles were nothing but crowns of glory and goodness. We see that there is going to be a despisement. Notice finally, and I'm... I'm done. We see not only the declaration of this servitude and the dynamics of this servitude, but look at the demands of this servitude. It says you cannot serve God and mammon. That implies two things to me. And I'll give you the second one first. It implies a decision. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But wherever there's a decision, listen, there's got to be discernment. It implies or demands discernment. In other words, what I'm saying here is this. If you're going to choose who's going to be your master, you ought to look at the track record. You ought to look at the track record. Let me ask you something. What's God ever done to hurt you? What's God ever done you wrong? There may be things in your life that you say, Lord, I don't want to give that to you. When has He ever messed up anything you've given? There may be time in your life that you say, Lord, I don't have time to serve you. I don't have time to do that. When has He ever wasted your time? You see, God's never done a thing to harm or to hurt you. But let's talk about the other side. What has the devil ever done to help you? What has the flesh ever done to help you? What has sin ever done to help you? You say, it felt good for a little while, yeah, and it left you empty. And even that time that you thought that it was going good, you didn't realize it, but you was dying inside. You say, "Where? give me Bible. Uh, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That's what the book of Proverbs says. Go ahead and live in pleasure. But inside, it's just eating away at you. You're corroding. You're dying. That's what sin does to you. You used to hear it all the time growing up. And it's true. It stuck with me. Sin always, always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. Every time it will. But now what about the Lord? Well, He loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross of Calvary for us. What are you afraid of Him for? What are you afraid of them for? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What are you scared of Him for? What are you scared of Him for? He said, I will speak peace to you. What are you scared of Him for? 
What is it that you're so terrified of God for? The reason that you're terrified of Him is you think He's going to take away your authority. And the reason you think He's going to take away your authority is because you're the one that thinks that you've got authority in your life. You've deceived yourself into thinking that you're running the show, but you're not running the show any more than I'm running the show. It's either God or mammon. What's it going to be? And it demands decision. People undoubtedly will think in their minds right now, well, I'm going to do that, but not today. Do you know that every time we're faced with a decision and we walk away from it, we're not being indecisive, we're passively choosing. We're passively choosing. You see, it's not a question of whether you're going to serve, uh, whether you're going to serve mammon today. It's a question of whether you're going to serve God today. If you draw a breath and if, you've not, if you're not pushing, actively pushing the influence of the flesh away from your life, if you are not trying to live for God, you're already living for mammon. And so you're making your decision by walking away and saying, well, you know, I'll make a decision another day. You know, you've made your decision today. You just better hope that God's gracious enough to give you another day to make that decision again. You've already made your decision. It's just a question of how long that your life will tarry or how long the Lord will tarry and give you opportunity to correct it. And so it does demand decision. We're going to serve one or the other. And the question I have for you today is, who are you serving? Who are you serving? And if you're not serving God with all your heart, why don't you come down to an altar and tear down some idols and say, Lord, I want to give you my life in its totality.